record? I am recording. All right, I'm going to start. One, two, three, here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Silver Streams, the new weekly podcast from the AFI Silver Theater and Cultural Center's programming team. I'm Todd Hitchcock, AFI Silver's Director of Programming. I'm Abby Alga, the Associate Film Programmer. And I am Ben Delgado, the Assistant Film Programmer. And today we're going to discuss the latest offerings in the AFI Silver's virtual screening room, as well as recommending some other titles to stream at home. So first things first, there is no better way to watch a movie than in a theater, on a big screen, with an audience. But that way is not available to us right now. So while the AFI Silver's doors are temporarily closed and we're all at home working, staying home, perhaps finding time to occasionally watch a movie. Uh, We hope that this podcast will be helpful for you as you navigate the thousands and thousands and thousands of potential choices of what to watch at home. And we're going to be using this podcast to tell you about the films that AFI Silver is making available through its website and eblast communications as streaming options. Last week, we launched our new Stream at Home program, the AFI Silver Virtual Screening Room. And this initiative was made possible entirely by some of the great independent U.S. art house distributors that we have the privilege of working with. Companies like Kino Lorber and Music Box Films, Magnolia Pictures, uh, all of whom uh, we're featuring films from right now in, in the AFI Silver Virtual Screening Room, as well as other companies like Oscilloscope Laboratories uh, that we expect to be working with in the near future. You can find everything we are currently offering at afi.com silver. And when you're on our website, please be sure to sign up for our email communications so you can keep up with our latest announcements. If you have any feedback or questions, you can email us at silverinfo at afi.com. And please know that this is our inaugural podcast from the programming team here at AFI Silver. We want to establish a way to maintain communication with all of our audience members who ordinarily would be coming to AFI Silver to see films. Step one was launching the the streaming program, but we want to make sure that there's also that line of communication with all of you as well and help walk you through some of the new things we're doing and keep the conversation going about what we're watching and and talking about. Uh, We're learning as we go, and um, we'd love to hear from you with any observations or questions or suggestions at silverinfo at afi.com. And you might hear uh, some of the newness in the way that we're recording this, so, uh, you know, pardon any slight hitches in that regard. We are all in our respective homes. (laughs) And I'm in a very echoey room. (laughs) But through the miracle of technology, we are all speaking together on this podcast now from our separate homes. We're going to start off talking about what's new this week in the virtual screening room. We are debuting three new titles on April 3rd. And first up is the latest film from Britain's Ken Loach, Sorry We Missed You. And Abby, you want to start us off on that one? Yeah, so Sorry We Missed You is opening, as you mentioned, April 3rd, thanks to our friends at Zeitgeist Films and Kino Lorber. Um, This is Ken Loach's follow-up to the acclaimed I, Daniel Blake, which some of you may remember won the Palme d'Or at Cannes in 2016. And that actually made Loach one of a handful of directors to win that prize twice because he won it in 2007 for the win that shakes the barley. 
but anyway, like both of those Palm Door winning films, uh, Sorry We Missed You is co-written by Loach's regular screenwriting partner, Paul Laverty. It's a really excellent script here, as you, as you would expect. And if you liked Daniel Blake, which looks at the UK's, frankly, quite messed up benefit system, Sorry We Missed You is going to be right up your street. It's another look at all the ways in which the socioeconomic inequalities in you know, contemporary Britain impact regular working people. This time, it's taking a look at the UK's freelance gig economy, which, of course, is not... Just in the UK, it's prevalent throughout the world. And right now we're in a moment when we see that more than ever. And so this is a story of a family in Newcastle in Northern England, just struggling to keep their heads above water after the 2008 crash. Essentially, it follows the father's story, Ricky. Um, He's the former construction worker. He takes on a job as a freelance quasi-freelance driver for a large delivery company. So ostensibly he's working for himself, but really he's pinned down by very strict guidelines, strict daily targets. He has to rent his van. There's a, a complete lack of any basic employment rights and dignities like having a bathroom break. And so it just explores the difficulties that he encounters, how that impacts his, his family life. He has a wonderful wife called Abby, who's a home care nurse. She's also a contract worker. And of course they have two, two little kids um, an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old, I think. So besides being, you know, musing on the political aspects of this, it's really an ensemble family drama. Um, it's very, very well acted. Chris Hitchin plays Ricky, the father of the family. I believe he's acted before. The other three actors, Abby and Jane, I think is the, is the daughter's name, and Seb, the son, they're all first-time actors. So there's a real authenticity and, and realism to this. But, you know, as you you always see with Ken Loach, there's compassion, there's humor, and you know, and drama, and there's, there's some melodrama in there too. Um, it's it's very very well done. It's heartbreaking at times, but in places it's also heartwarming. So uh, I highly recommend it. And I think right now, the kind of jobs that that the two main characters are doing in in this film, they're more essential than ever. Um, They've been undervalued. And I think just this film's message is thrown into relief by the the situation that we're in right now, honestly. And Abby, I'm glad you you mentioned the humor that's uh, interwoven in the film. Ken Loach, despite the sort of stereotypical representation, he can be quite funny when he chooses to. You think of films like Looking for Eric or uh, The Angel Share. Yeah. yeah, And this film, uh, we're especially happy that we'll be bringing this back on the streaming platform following our screening in December as part of the EU Film Showcase. We were only able to show it for a single screening then, but now it's many more people have an opportunity to see this terrific film from Ken Loach. Yeah, and maybe I'll finally get a chance to see it after missing it at our own festival. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I think you're going to like it a lot. Okay, so Sorry We Missed You from Ken Loach will be debuting April 3rd on our virtual screening room. Also debuting on April 3rd is the Irish horror comedy Extraordinary. And Ben is going to tell us about that one. Right, so Extraordinary, like Sorry We Missed You, was a film we played at the AFI Silver Theater. This one part of our Capital Irish Film Festival just wrapped up about a month ago. We had a couple screenings of the film 
very highly attended, very highly regarded, um, starring Will Forte, who you may know from Nebraska or Booksmart, and possibly his best film, at least in my opinion, Gruber, the adaptation of uh, his famous character from Saturday Night Live, and also starring Maeve Higgins, uh, who's a comedian of note from Ireland. She's kind of stepping into a leading role as an actor in this one for the first time. So Maeve plays Rose, who is a, a sweet driving instructor, a very good-hearted, good-natured, who happens to have a connection with the supernatural. She's uh, somewhat of a reluctant exorcist. She's mostly doing small favors in the neighborhood, exercising garbage bins or haunted bits of gravel, things like that. <laughs> but one day her neighbor Martin asks her to lift a curse from his daughter, who has been uh, inflicted upon by a washed-up rock star, Christian Winter, played by Will Forte, who's made a pact with the devil to make a big comeback in his rock career. So that's that's her, her main task now. Although she's not really into the supernatural stuff, she kind of takes it in stride and takes on the task at hand. And, uh, hilarity ensues. The film premiered at South by Southwest last year, and it's opening in our virtual screening room from Kino and Good Deed Entertainment starting April 3rd, as we mentioned. It's today if you were listening to it on the release of the podcast. Hope everyone gets a chance to watch this one. Very funny movie. We all need to laugh. And I think if I was going to compare it to anything, Ben, I'd, I'd compare it to Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows. Um, it has that kind of very dark but hilarious sense of humor. But it's Irish too, so yeah. Even more of a sense of humor. <laughs> so horror comedy, but really comedy comedy with supernatural elements like what we do in the shadows. Maybe a low-budget Ghostbusters, if you will. Extraordinary. And a, an encore from our Capital Irish Film Festival uh, a month back. The third title that will be debuting on April 3rd in the AFI Silver's virtual screening room is a classic film uh, from 1976, the Brazilian film Dona Flor and Her Two Husbands. This film was a tremendous success in its day. It's a genre that we don't see too many films of anymore or, or with any frequency, unlike the 70s into the 80s, a sex comedy, uh, and a very farcical one. And surprisingly, like Extraordinary, it also involves some supernatural elements. So the setup involves young widow Sonia Braga. And this is really the film that put her on the map. Her acting ability and just her screen presence very much on display, launching the international career she would go on to have. If you can think back to Films were on cable a lot in the 80s. Uh, once she came to Hollywood, I'm thinking of Kiss of the Spider Woman, late 80s, Milagro Beanfield War, Moon Over Parador, The Rookie. Her Hollywood career was made possible by the really huge international success of Dona Florinda Two Husbands, which for decades was Brazil's all-time box office champ. Uh, it was not until Elite Squad came along that the record was handed over to that film. So for years and years and years, this was the, the biggest Brazilian film in history. So I mentioned Sonia Braga is a young widow. Her deceased husband, played by Jose Wilker, was a near-do-well. Not, not a good man, a gambler, mistreated her. But sexually, they enjoyed an enjoyable relationship. He is now deceased. She remarries the very mild-mannered town doctor, played by Moro Mendonca. And this is a much more caring relationship, but they're not as compatible in the bedroom. 
Then the supernatural element comes in where the ghost of the deceased husband reappears to her and has a habit of reappearing at inconvenient times. It's played for laughs. It is very funny. And it's just a, a coincidence that we'll be featuring this film at the same time that we also have Sonia Braga's latest film, Bakurao, uh, available on the streaming platform this week as well. So you have the opportunity to see a very early example of Sonia Braga's film history with Dona Flor, and as well as seeing her most recent film as a member of the ensemble cast in Bakurao this week. Dona Flor and her two husbands, and that is a, made available to us from Film Movement. Uh, one other thing I want to mention about Dona Flor, if, if that plot uh, in any way sounds reminiscent of another film you've seen, a, a, perhaps an 80s American comedy, uh, there's a good reason for that because it is. The film from 1982 called Kiss Me Goodbye is in fact a remake of Dona Flor and her two husbands. That film starred Sally Field, James Caan as the deceased husband, and Jeff Bridges as the new husband. I was sure told that you are about to say ghost. Ghost? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen this film yet. I really want to, based on your description now. Um, but um, ghost was coming into my mind as I was listening to it. And also the two, the two husband thing is reminding me of Tiger King, if anyone's seen that out there. All of America has. Ah, okay. um, so I'm just going to say it's ghost meets the Tiger King. Ghost meets the Tiger King. <laughs> Up to the minute reference. I was just going to say, if it helps get you interested in seeing it because it reminds you of Ghost, then great. That, that works for me. When you mention Ghost, I just am thinking of the pottery making and we'll all be taking up pottery soon enough as we try different, try taking up new hobbies. Okay, so Dona Flor, starring Sonia Braga, is the third of our three new films available this week in the AFI Silver's virtual screening room. And that makes a very neat segue to briefly giving an overview of the other films that we still have available as streaming options this week. All of these premiered last week when we first launched the new streaming platform. And first up, we're going to talk about Baku Rao. This is the latest film from Clever Mendonça Filou. You may, uh, hopefully you did see his previous film, Aquarius, which had a fantastic best ever star role for Sonia Braga. And a few years before that, Neighboring Sounds, both of those films screened at AFI Silver in our Latin American Film Festival in the, in the years that they came out. This one is different. Uh, it is a genre mashup combining elements of the Western, sci-fi, grindhouse horror. Imagine sort of a near future Brazil in a small town in the countryside. And we first get to meet the eccentric, different members of the community there, sort of pick up on some past histories of people who have beef. Uh, there's a woman who travels into town who presumably is visiting from the city uh, back to her home village. There, it opens with a very elaborate funeral for a recently departed member of, of the community who we see briefly, the, the ghost of that person. So it tips us off that we're going to be going there with some of the genre elements. But there's some unexplained phenomena going on with the town. Someone has cut off the water supply without explanation. And there have been some sightings in the hills around the town of men with guns. And what's up with that? Well, soon enough we find out, and it's, it's nothing good. Um, if you can imagine elements of The Hunger Games and the classic short story, The Most Dangerous Game, that's where the movie, that's what the movie has on its mind and that's where it goes. Ultimately, the, the townspeople unite and band together against the threat. And um, it's 
very much politically tinged genre genre material. Just want to make sure everyone's aware. This is this is a hard R kind of film. It's definitely a a, a late night genre exercise, and that's that's the uh, mindset to to have going in. But uh, you'll you'll find that there's some interesting political thinking woven into that story. Um, I'll also mention that it won the jury prize at Cannes, which I guess is kind of a rare thing for. For this this type of, of of film this kind of it's almost yeah. a midnight movie yeah ab- absolutely i mean outside of like park park chan wook and i guess parasite last year as great as it is it has one foot in the genre but yeah very rare that you see a, a movie like this given that kind of esteem from a major film festival and it speaks to the the quality of the film and, and the reputation of the filmmaker who's made some great films already yeah, in his young career, absolutely. And in addition to Sonia Braga, who you mentioned, it also stars Udo Kier, another genre film. A genre mainstay, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. If, uh, if our description didn't convince you of its genre bona fides, the presence of Udo Kier hopefully does. So also continuing as a film to stream in the virtual screening room is The Whistlers from Romania. This is the latest film from the great contemporary Romanian filmmaker Cornelu Poromboiu. And if you recognize that name, you can probably think back to his other outstanding films, uh, beginning with the one that introduced him to international audiences, 1208 East of Bucharest, a very gimlet-eyed comedic sort of deadpan comedic take on the events of the revolution that uh, removed Ceausescu. Police Adjective, which many people think of as, as probably his, his best film, and uh, The Treasure, which we, which we featured a few years back in our EU film showcase. Definitely has a, a significant comedic content. That's not typically what people think of when they think of Palomboyu's films. They expect things that engage with recent Romanian history and society and have a very much a philosophical component woven into the story being told. The Whistlers does too, but for the most part, it is a, a genre exercise. There's very much a crime caper that involves Romanian cops and international gangsters set up in the Canary Islands of Spain. Uh, the action crisscrosses between the two countries and, and goes beyond with a third act that takes us all the way to Singapore. And it's fractured time telling. The ins and outs of the very convoluted plot are not something that can be quickly explained, so we're not even going to try. But it's very twisty in the most satisfying of ways. Vlad Ivanov is the sort of hangdog, middle-aged police inspector from Romania. If you don't know his, recognize his name, you certainly will his face. He's been in many, many of the recent films coming to us from Romania, who it's not really clear throughout the course of the film if he's a compromised cop who's collaborating with the mafia or if he's deep, deep, deep undercover for the police force back in Bucharest. It is as as pleasing as it is as just a crime movie. There's also definitely the the sort of things we associate with Promboyu in terms of deeper thinking about society and then how people plug into that or or are maybe ground down by that. The Whistlers also available this week coming to us from Magnolia Pictures. Yeah, and The Whistlers is a very appropriate title given the communication in the film between the criminals back and forth in a this old whistling language that allows them to communicate across vast expanses, uh, including across mountains in, in what we are kind of calling the ultimate social distancing. 
And I believe that language, it's a real language. I think Poromboy was inspired by this TV documentary that he saw about 10 years ago about the Canary Islands, which is where a lot of the film is, is set and where this whistling language originates from. So right. it's a real thing. It's kind of amazing. So in, in the, the shepherds in the hills of the Canary Islands used it to communicate from far, far away. And now there's this ridiculously elaborate plot where the mafia are going to use that to pull off whatever the job is that they're, they're planning. And the actors had to learn how to do it uh, because we, there's a lot of the, the whistling language. And they uh, speak first. different languages in the whistling language, right? They speak Romanian and Spanish. Oh, and Spanish, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And they, they bring it back to Bucharest and talk across from one high rise to another, right? And said, yes. <laughs> It is uh, exemplary social distancing communication. Also continuing to be available on our screening platform this week from Music Box Pictures and Then We Danced. This is a gay coming of age story set in a dance academy in Tbilisi, Georgia. The film is primarily a Swedish made film. The filmmaker Levan Akin is Swedish or Georgian Swedish, his family uh, originates from Georgia. And this is the first film that he, that he made outside of Sweden. It action completely takes place in Tbilisi, Georgia, and primarily in this dance academy. It's not a, a ballet academy. The dance being done here is traditional Georgian dance, folk dance. It's fantastic to see performed on screen. All of the actors are dancer actors and excellent in, in both disciplines. And classic sort of new kid in town, new kid in school, a rival, kind of a rebellious type. And his arrival initiates a number of uh, disruptions to the very close-knit community among the young dancers, including on the part of our lead, who for the first time in his life, perhaps, is aware that he has some, some new feelings awakening within him to this person who's both his rival in dancing and perhaps that he's discovering he's in fact attracted to. It's an incredibly well-done film, very satisfying as a drama, and really outstanding acting and dancing from the cast. Um, and that one premiered in Cannes in Director's Fortnight last year as well, right? And I'll also mention it was another really popular title in our AFI European Union Film Showcase in December. So there's a theme this, this week. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. There's definitely a number of those where the dots connect. Well, next up is one that is completely new to AFI Silver, and that is the documentary Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson and the Band. Now, as soon as I say that title, which is perfectly descriptive of what the film is, many of you may be thinking, well, we already have The Last Waltz, the landmark rock documentary from Martin Scorsese documenting the farewell concert, what was billed as the farewell concert at the time for the band. That's absolutely correct. But this film has a different tack. This attempts to tell the entire story of the band, known as the band, not simply that one that one concert summation of their career but beginning beginning at the beginning with their their youth and upbringing it is primarily through the lens of Robbie Robertson there's a good reason for that not only was he the the main songwriter and and leader and most comfortable with the spotlight of the members of the band but he's practically the only member 
still with us. Garth Hudson still is, organist, keyboardist, but he seems to fit the profile of the quiet one within the band, and, and that continues. So there's, there's no new interviews from Garth Hudson. Robbie Robertson is on camera a lot. He's a very engaging guide through this story. Sadly, Levon Helm and Rick Danko and Richard Manuel, none of them are, are still with us to participate in the, in the storytelling. But it it starts off with Robertson's childhood split between the mean streets of Toronto and the uh, Indian Reservation, Native American Reservation that his, his uh, mother was born on. As a teenage musical rock and roll prodigy, he, he signs on to play in the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, kind of a rockabilly roadhouse kind of act. He becomes fast friends with Levon Helm from Arkansas who's also a teenager uh, in this band, barnstorming all, all around the North America. And from there, they're recruited to become Bob Dylan's first electric band and back him on his first uh, electric plugged-in tour. And all of you Dylanologists out there, of course, know that tour was famously unsuccessful. People, Many people were not ready for it in, in that initial going, of course, People came around soon enough, but uh, it was a, a strange experience for this young band, what, what they had hoped would be their big break, and it didn't play that way. The band regroups in Woodstock, New York, and now for the first time, they start thinking about and working on going out as their own outfit and record the first of their seminal late 60s and early 70s albums, Music from Big Pink. So this documentary tells all that story of how the band came together and, and their, uh, their education on the road and the good times of making those fantastic albums, but also the difficulty handling that success, which uh, ultimately led to the, them burning through their time together all too quickly. It makes a great companion piece to The Last Waltz, the, the two films together. That's Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson, the band, coming to us from Magnolia, Magnolia Pictures and available starting April 3rd. And the final film that we still have available this week on the AFI Silver Virtual Screening Room is Fantastic Fungi, the documentary about mushrooms, mycology, and the mycelium network. Uh, it's been a real underground success. We had a great screening with the filmmaker Louis Schwartzberg back in December. So yeah, continuing a theme, Abby, another one that we're very pleased to make available as a streaming option now, Fantastic Fungi. That one is brought to us from Area 23A Films. And I appreciate the pun, the underground hit. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I knew you would. And just a reminder for all of the titles we just discussed, which can be streamed at home through the AFI Silver dedicated link, which can be found on our website, in our email communications, and social media posts, a portion of the streaming proceeds goes to support AFI Silver Theater. A sincere thank you to all of you who are able to support us this way during the theater's closure. Now, in addition to the titles available to stream right now through our virtual screening room, we want to mention a few other titles out there on the various streaming platforms that we recommend for your viewing pleasure. There's an overwhelming amount of content to choose from, and we want to offer up some of these as our own recommendations. These are this week's programmer's picks. And I believe, Abby, you're going to start us off with your pick this week. I am, yeah. So I'm going to keep on the theme of films that were popular in our AFI European Union Film Showcase in December. And so my pick today is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, 
from Celine Siama, French director. So this was just made available, I believe, last weekend on Hulu after its theatrical run was sadly cut short by the, the COVID crisis. Um, and so I was really happy to see that they made it available on Hulu so that everyone can enjoy this beautiful, beautiful film and a lovely bit of escapism. So this film won the Queer Palm and the Best Screenplay Awards at the Cannes Film Festival in May last year. Um, it is a sweeping, brooding lesbian romance set in 18th century Brittany. So it's a lovely period piece. It charts the romance between a budding painter named Marianne and a noble woman whose portrait Marianne is commissioned to paint. It's a wedding portrait. The noble woman is, is called Eloise. She's played actually by Adele Hanel, who also starred in Celine Siama's first film, Water Lilies, from 2007. And she was also in uh, Deer Skin this year, which you may also have seen in our European Union Film Showcase, another great role for her. And so Marianne initially has to go undercover to complete her painting mission, since Eloise has not been very receptive to the previous portrait painters or male who have come in to paint her before. And uh, she's not very excited about her upcoming marriage, I have to say. And so it charts a beautiful romance between these, these two young women. It's just a stunning film. It's beautiful imagery, windswept beaches. Every frame could be a painting in itself, actually. The cinematography is by Claire Maton, who also shot this year Matty Diop's excellent film, Atlantique and shot another film that won the Queer Palm in 2013, Stranger by the Lake. So that's an interesting connection. Anyway, she does a very, very good job here. It's beautiful. It's also an interesting, I think, companion piece to something like Greta Gerwig's Little Women or Autumn DeWilde's Emma that we were just showing in the, in the theater. Um, it really puts the female perspective and experience front and center, which, you know, is relatively rare, I think, in, in period pieces. And so it's very refreshing. It's, it's just a beautiful film, and I highly recommend that you, that you check it out now that it's available to, to watch at home. Okay, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And Abby, you mentioned, uh, had played previously in our AFI European Union Film Showcase back in December. Uh, that was one of our best attended titles, one of our best attended films in, in the past edition of the showcase. You also mentioned her first film, uh, Siama's first film, Water Lilies. In between, she made a film called Girlhood, which we also featured in the EU showcase in, back in 2014. Another, another excellent film and very, very different from, from this one. So if you wanted to do a Celine Siama retrospective at home, um, I, would, I would highly re recommend doing that. <laughs> And if you are doing that retrospective, don't forget My Life is a Zucchini, which she wrote the screenplay for. Uh, didn't direct, but a beautiful um, animated movie. Wow, okay. Good tip. I'm not sure I, I was aware of that. But Ben, that's a great segue to your recommendation this week, right? Yeah, so this week uh, I have a recommendation for the whole family. I have a, uh, a short paired with a feature. So we'll start with La Luna, which is a, a short from 2011 of Pixar. It's an Italian writer-director Enrico Casarosa, 
who um, was Oscar nominated for the short where a boy goes out on a boat with his grandfather and his father to harvest stars from the moon. It's a very beautiful short and I think one that is a nice entryway into the feature I'm going to mention. Uh, the short La Luna is available on Disney Plus to stream. Boy in the World is the feature um, which was an Oscar nominated best animated film directed by Ale Abreu. It's about a boy who lives in the countryside with his parents. And one day his father leaves to go find work. He jumps on a train, goes off, and uh, his his son doesn't understand. The boy doesn't really understand. And he goes off on a journey to try to find his father and bring him back home. And as, as the journey unfolds, he starts to go to uh, different job sites, to cotton fields, to factories. And his, his world starts to expand. His uh, mind starts to expand. And then the visuals start to to expand accordingly. The the animation, the hand-drawn animation throughout just gets more complex, more visually lush. And director Malaya Breyu is actually the one who drew everything by hand. So it's really a labor of love. One that started off as an idea for um, a documentary and evolved into a film where a boy is exploring the world looking for his father. The film doesn't have much dialogue. It has very little. And the dialogue that's present is Portuguese, but it's Portuguese in reverse. So it's just meant to evoke kind of a feeling, not a specific set of dialogue um, when the adults speak to the boy. Not a lot of dialogue, but the visuals and the music really take over. The music is something that's present throughout and there's a persistent theme of a flute that represents the boy's father that he keeps chasing. Sometimes that flute becomes a bird. Sometimes some of the drums in the background become machines, uh, the machines which are shaped like animals um, or a neon light. It's all very visual and very beautifully drawn. That one's available on Netflix, Boy in the World. So the pairing of La Luna and Boy in the World works for the whole family. And Boy in the World is our third Brazilian pick this week, actually. So Brazil is so hot right now. Uh, there's so much high quality animation coming from outside the U.S. It's it's great to uh, highlight some of that this this week as a as a recommendation from Ben. I'm going to recommend two films, two possible films to to watch at home on streaming. And the first one is a documentary, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. We featured this film at AFI Silver last year, and it really turned into a a nice hit for us in the very, very early fall and uh, wound up playing for, I think, over a month. It's directed, produced and directed by the great documentarian Stanley Nelson. You may recognize that name. He's been at it for quite a while in the past. He did some documentaries that that aired on PBS on American Experience, The Murder of Emmett Till and Jonestown, The Life and Death of People's Temple. Uh, Most recently, his feature documentaries have included Freedom Riders and The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, attempts to tell the entire story of Miles Davis's life and career in the span of a single feature-length film. And that's quite a challenge because, of course, the great jazz trumpeter and musical innovator with maybe the, the, the biggest career as a, as a leader and, and recorder of albums in the heyday of jazz and a, and a pretty uh, turbulent and um, uh, highly active 
active personal life in addition to his professional life. And I'm happy to say that Nelson is up to the challenge. In terms of a single sit-down, two-hour feature, what made Miles Davis so special? What made his music so special? This, this film delivers. He marshals an array of interviewees who are so good at helping to tell the story. There's a wealth of recordings, both audio and, and uh, film, to help tell the story. Carl Lumley is used as the voice of Davis. And of course, Davis had that raspy voice uh, in, in, in real life. And he's reading from a Miles Davis autobiography. So it's as if it's being narrated first person by a Miles Davis. And that may sound like a device that may or may not work. It works brilliantly in the film. And of course, throughout it all, we're being treated to the amazing music of Miles Davis, which from the beginning through the mid through the middle to the end of the film, you of course are hearing it evolve and change as his uh, approach to, to making music evolved and changed over the years. It's it's a fantastic music documentary, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, and anytime is a great time to to check this out. But April happens to be Jazz Appreciation Month, so it's an even better time to to give it a go. At the moment, the film is available exclusively through Netflix, Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool. And I imagine it would make a really good double feature with Once Were Brothers, actually, do, do you think? Absolutely. For those of you who are mu- music fans, uh, why not double down with... Uh, <laughs> with a homemade double feature of, of Miles Davis and the band. I think that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's one uh, that you don't want to miss, especially if, if for nothing else, for Francis Taylor Davis, whose presence is really uh, uh, something else and a great interview. Yeah, uh, in, in addition to the, to the musicologists and jazz historians and, and jazz players who are interviewed, Francis Taylor, later Francis Davis, was, was married to Miles Davis from 1959 to the late 60s, 60s. I think. It was a turbulent relationship, but as an interviewee talking about her life and career pre-Davis, her years with with Miles, she's a fascinating interview. And of course, those of you who uh, know your Miles Davis will will know that name and, and, and know her beautiful face. She's uh, featured on both the album covers for Someday My Prince Will Come and ESP. The other film I'm going to recommend this week is a classic comedy. Uh, we happen to be featuring a number of comedies streaming at AFI Silver this week, but I want to mention one more from the classic side, and that is 1940s His Girl Friday, uh, one of the all-time classic screwball comedies directed by Howard Hawks, featuring Cary Grant and a never-better Rosalind Russell. They play, effectively, an editor, hard-driving newspaper editor, and his former star reporter, who is also his former wife. Uh, She's ready to leave. She's already left him. She's now ready to leave the profession and marry uh, wealthy Ralph Bellamy. Now, anyone who thinks that that love triangle is going to resolve itself on the Ralph Bellamy side hasn't watched enough Hollywood films. Even if it's a foregone conclusion, how, who's going to wind up paired with whom at the end? Hawks and the cast make it fascinating and very, very funny to see how it all plays out over the course of the film. If you've never seen it, please do yourself a favor and watch it soon. And of course, if you have seen it, I don't need to tell you it's very worth rewatching again and again. His Girl Friday, 1940. Uh, One further note on that, that film is based on the very successful play written by former newspaper men turned Hollywood screenwriters, playwrights and Hollywood screenwriters, Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. It was a smash hit on Broadway, and then it was in the early sound era turned into a feature film. So 
what was different about His Girl Friday, not that many years later, is that they did a gender flip with the casting. So Hildy Johnson went from being a he to a she, and that uh, changed the, the nature of the relationship and lent it many new comedic possibilities to telling the story in His Girl Friday. And comedy is very welcome right now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially <laughs> classic comedy. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, that one's available pretty much everywhere, and including, if you have it, the Criterion channel, if you already happen to be there. Okay, that wraps it up for our inaugural edition of Silver Streams. Thank you all for listening, and we hope that you see something this week that you really, really like, maybe even love. Thank you guys for listening. This is my first time doing a podcast, so... Uh, I'm really excited for the next one and to, to learn and make it better each time. So please come back and happy streaming. Thanks for listening to the inaugural episode of Silver Streams. We hope you check us out again next week. And until then, happy streaming. A reminder to our listeners, you can find everything we are currently streaming at afi.com silver. And a portion of the proceeds from streaming these titles goes to support AFI Silver. When you're on our website, please be sure to sign up for our email in order to keep up with our latest announcements. And if you have any feedback or questions, you can email us at silverinfo at afi.com. You can also get in touch with us or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at AFI Silver Theatre or on Twitter at AFI Silver. And if you have streaming suggestions you think we should be mentioning, uh, tag us with your picks and we'll look at them for future episodes. And music for this week's episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Find out more uh, about their work at sessions.blue. Over and out.